Hello, and welcome back to Meaning, an exploration of how spiritual significance emerges from the life and work of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis. I'm your host, Chris Bonhoff. This past month, Plymouth Church has hosted Transfer of Memory, an exhibit of portraits of Holocaust survivors, accompanied by brief biographical sketches of each person's story. And so you may have seen photos of this episode's guest, Manny Gabler, hanging near the door of Jones Commons, and read how his family escaped the war when Manny was a baby and spent nine years in Shanghai before immigrating to the United States in 1948. We started our conversation talking about those nine years in Shanghai through the lens of a trip he took in 1998 back to Shanghai, 50 years after leaving China for the United States. There were 18,000 refugees in an area called, which was north of the, the river, near, near what's, it's hard to say downtown in China, because mm. it's so congested, everything is downtown. <laughs> you know, Shanghai was like 13 million people. Mm. And, and Shanghai, back in the early 1900s, I think was like the fourth largest city in the world. It had a public transportation system. Hmm. It was it was way ahead of its time. And along the river, the Huangpo River, there's a whole section called the Bund, and it's all European architecture. Hmm. But anyway, so we went to China in 98, and we wanted to hire a guide to show us through Shanghai. And she said, tomorrow we'll, I'll take you to the People's Museum, and there's a park along the river. And I said, no, we've seen all that. I'm here to see my roots. And so I explained to her that we were 18,000 people in Hongqiu, which is a square mile, um, kind of European architecture kind of area. But it had been destroyed by the Japanese, and it was the poorest part of Shanghai. Okay. And so the guy kind of drove around. And I said, at the day before when she picked us up at the airport, I said, ask your grandparents or uncles, aunts, what the names of the streets are now because it was a British mandate back then and the streets have British names. So the next day she drove us into the Hongqiu area and I started to walk around looking at things. And I said, I went to Hebrew school right there and it was the Oral Moisha Temple and it was a Chinese man that ran it as a museum. Huh. And <clears throat> and I think the Chinese kind of wanted to save this place because it was the last Jewish temple in all of Shanghai. Mm. And so I told him why we were there, and he says, well, what was your father's name? And I said, Simon. So there was a book called the Immigranten Adressebuch, which in German means immigrant address book. Mm -hmm. And my dad's name was in there. And he says, oh, Tongshan Road. He says, I live there. So he was at number 12, and I was at number 50. Wow. So he took us in, showed us his home, and then we walked up to number 50. And I walked up to that place, and the nail holes from the mezuzah were still in the door frame, and it hadn't been painted in 50 years to the day that we left. And wow. when I saw that, it was this profound experience of this is who I am.
So you were there for nine years? Yeah. 1939 to 1948. How did that place feel to you? I didn't really have a whole concept of home. Uh-huh. I mean, I was too young to appreciate having that, but I, I, I mean, I felt I, I didn't feel out of place. The Chinese never made us feel out of place. Mm-hmm. They, they treated us, they were poorer than we, we were, and we were starving, and, you know, I wore the same clothes every other day, and so we had no possessions of any kind, so I, I, I kind of felt I belonged there. What was it like to, to leave Shanghai? To me, as a child, it was just a new adventure. Yeah. Yeah, we got on a ship in Hongqiu, which were where the docks were, and we stopped in Hong Kong, and then we stopped in Manila, and we stopped in Hawaii, and then landed in San Francisco. And in that 30 days, it was a it was an adventure to me as a child. It wasn't like, oh, I'm leaving here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had a lot of great experiences because on that ship was the first hot shower in my life. And I ate things I'd never eaten before. You know, like a grapefruit was a big deal, you know? <laughs> I would imagine that that, that community in Shanghai was incredibly close-knit. Oh, I th- oh, absolutely. Because it was uh, mostly Europeans living, living among the Chinese. Yeah. And can you imagine the, the strength of those people to get off a ship in a country where they didn't know the language, they had no place to live, they had no prospects of a job? Most of the, the Europeans that came there, 40% of them, had white-collar jobs, mm-hmm. and they didn't speak the the business language of Shanghai was English, hmm. and they didn't speak English. Hmm. You know, so it must have taken incredible courage to do that. And there were a couple of very very wealthy Chinese or British citizens that had gotten there in the 1800s, and they bought old industrial buildings, and built a school. So they kind of took in these 18,000 people. And at that time, it cost them five cents a day to feed a refugee. And Hmm. I mean, these people were worth billions. I'd like to talk about what what the transfer of memory experience means to you. What, like, what meaning there is for you to, to, to talk about these memories? I think I'm speaking for all of those that are dead on, in those pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, because every one of them were philosophical about life because they were survivors. And I think I, I speak for them and myself. Does that feel heavy? Does that feel joyful? Does it feel, what is the feeling of carrying those stories? I just feel an inner peace when I talk for them. And I don't mention by name or anything, but one of the people that that are down there, his name was Kurt Hort, H-O-R-T. And he changed his name to Hort because when he got here as a refugee from Europe, no, he was from China also, and, and Kurt changed his name from Horowitz to Hort because he couldn't get a job. Mm. So, you know, when I, when I talk, I think about 
what Kurt went through. And then Judith Mizell, who also was one of the people that worked with us on the Witness Theater. And Judith told her story. And I think about things that happened to her when I talk about all this. So I think I'd, I, I do speak for them. Yeah. When you speak in these spaces, have you noticed change in people? What does that experience look like, that give and take of when you speak, and people take that in, and somehow something happens in that space? I think that's what happened when, when I went down to Albert Lee. The principal came up to me and says, be careful, you're in Trump country. Mm. So I, I, first of all, don't talk politics. And I just did my talk. And the reaction to those kids, they gave me a standing ovation. Wow. It kind of tells you about that these kids didn't care if I was there as a Republican or a Democrat or who my, my political leanings were. They didn't care about that. They just were glad that I was there speaking to them. And so that's what I take away from that, that, that it, it transcends all the politics and all the garbage, you know, because this is reality. Mm. Yes. One of the questions the kids asked me, how do you feel about immigration? And I said, well, if there's 10,000 families that are here because their lives are at stake and they need a home, who are we to turn them away? What kind of people are we to turn them away? And that, that's the way it went. And so I, I talk about how this impacted me. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm here for the storytellers of the future. And I'm, I'm here to talk about this is what it's like to have been an immigrant. Because when people talk about the border, it's, it's just whatever picture they've been given. And I, I think politically they've been given a bad rap. And, and if, if the same thing happened today, that, that if, if in 1948 we would have been saddled with the same immigration policies that we have now, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. Yes. And at that time, you know, we, we, we came to America. My parents got a job. We got an apartment. I went to school. We had a relatively decent life. And, and five years later, I was, became a naturalized citizen, period. There wasn't any waiting 10 years because you were a child that was brought here and you know, all of the things that, that are going on now, those weren't, the, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you speak to honor, to honor your, your parents mm -hmm. and the people that, that, that helped you along the way. Absolutely. And part of that honoring is to fight for people who are in similar circumstances today. Absolutely. Do you have hope for 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 our for this country? What are your feelings about the state of the state of things right now? I think there's a lot of stupidity going on. I think there's a 
a lack of, of creative thinking right now, and I think that's very dangerous. The, the dumbing down of our society is very dangerous. And also, it's not fun. <laughs> so true. You know, it, it's something John Wayne once said. He said, life is really difficult, but when you're stupid, it's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> What comes up as you listen to Manny's story and contemplate the stories of the other Holocaust survivors? How do their stories impact your perception of the world today and your place in it? Thanks to Manny Gabler for your gift of storytelling. And thanks to everyone who gave their stories to the Transfer of Memory Project. May we hold your stories and honor them through the pursuit of justice. As always, thanks to Jimmy Hulse for our theme and to Max Burnell for additional music. Email us anytime with your thoughts or feedback. Our address is meaning at Plymouth.org. Meaning is a project of Plymouth Congregational Church of Minneapolis.